the day before Thanksgiving in 1971, a man identifying himself as Dan Cooper bought a plane ticket from Portland to Seattle. He hijacked the plane, claiming he had a bomb in his briefcase and demanded $200,000 in four parachutes. He jumped out of the plane with the money and the bomb somewhere over the Pacific Northwest, never to be seen again. The FBI claims to have investigated over a thousand people, including dozens of deathbed confessions. In 2016, 45 years after the hijacking, the FBI suspended its investigation of the case. While the FBI is no longer looking for D.B. Cooper, there is a community of people who are trying to solve the case on their own. Welcome to the Cooper Vortex. In this episode, we're lucky to be joined by Tessa D'Amico. Based in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Tessa is somewhat new to the Vortex. She has, however, made a name for herself on the D.B. Cooper Mystery Group on Facebook and has come into this with a fresh perspective and lots of enthusiasm. She's planning on using her background in tech to build an online collaborative tool for fellow Cooper investigators to have quick access to all the facts, documents, suspects, and theories in this case all in one handy place. Sounds pretty cool, right? Enjoy this episode with my good friend, Tessa D'Amico. All right, well, let's start with how was CooperCon? It was so much fun. I had like, I thought I was going to have a good time, but it was, it just exceeded my expectations. It was awesome. Had you been to any of the other events before that? No, this was my first one. Okay, cool. So were you nervous to, to show up? I was, no, I wasn't nervous. Um, I was excited to like meet a lot of the people that I had, you know, conversed with online for months and months. Uh, I was excited to meet all those people in real life, but not nervous. I was just super excited. When did you first hear about D.B. Cooper? I had watched um, Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates, and the segment was just about D.B. Cooper. I'd never heard the story ever before. Um, I found out after, like, my parents knew about it and, like, other, you know, family members and stuff, but it had never, never crossed my plate until that, uh, until that episode of Expedition Unknown. And I know this is, like, a rude question to ask a lady, but... How old are you, Tessa? I am 34. 34. Okay. Yeah. So like myself, this was something that happened before we were born. Mm-hmm. And the Expedition Unknown episode, are you talking about the more recent one that Eric Euless was on? No, this was the very first um, very first episode. I think he's done maybe two or three, but this was the very first. And that one focuses on Kenny Christensen, I think, right? You know what? I can't remember right now, actually, if it does or not. I don't know if they even brought too many. Uh, you know what? It might. I'd have to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since like it originally aired, actually. Yeah, I get some of those History Channel ones mixed up myself. Mm-hmm. But then when did you really start to fall into the vortex? Uh, so I think it was after the HBO documentary came out and that was the first time that I heard the Barb Dayton story. And I will just kind of say right here out in the open that I don't have, I don't have a horse in the race. I don't have a suspect. I did just think that Barb Dayton as a suspect was a very interesting person just because I mean, she's so different for many, many, many reasons um, from everyone else. And I kind of 
was like, there's, there's like really something amazing and really interesting here. Just the fact that so many people had come forward and um, claimed to be D.B. Cooper and wanted to be D.B. Cooper. Um, I do like a little bit of screenwriting just as like a hobby. And I was like, okay, someone needs to make like a good movie <laughs> about this. I know that there have been, you know, like various films or TV movies and, and whatnot. But, um, and I do know that Rob uh, Bertrand, who's also very active and has the um, D.B. Cooper escape room, that he has a D.B. Cooper script um, that he's had in his back pocket for a while. Um, but I was like, I want to try my hand at this. And so I was like, oh, I better get some, better get some research going now. So that was kind of how things really kind of got kicked up to the next level for me. And what was your chosen method of researching the case? So I started on Wikipedia and then I got Skyjack, uh, the book by Jeffrey Gray. Um, and then I was like, okay, I've got like a pretty good grasp on just like probably the most high level overview of what really happened. Um, I really like Skyjack, the Jeffrey Gray book. I feel like people don't really give it as much credit or talk about it as much and uh, in some of the D.B. Cooper circles, but it was a great book that gave me a really clear introduction of like what happened, who was involved, who were the key players. Um, and then after that, I was like, OK, I should maybe talk to people who are really um, invested in this. So then that's how I kind of stumbled upon the Facebook group um, that Eric Ulis runs. And you became pretty active there. Yeah, yeah, definitely way more than I had ever thought or maybe hoped <laughs> to be. But here I am. <laughs> Is, is Skyjack the only book you've read up at this point? Um, no, I have. Um, I also have the Gunther book. Um, I have, uh, I just got actually uh, Marty Andrade's book. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not too far into that quite yet. Um, but, and I also have the Foreman's book that I got at, uh, at CooperCon that they generously gifted to me. So thanks, Ron and Pat, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty awesome. What's yeah. your take on the Gunther book? It's interesting. Um, just as a as a piece of literature, it's 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 good. It's great. Even um, you know, it's easy. It's an easy read. Um, there's a lot of decoding that that needs to happen. I haven't. I'm kind of like powering through a lot of um, books still. So I, it's one of those ones where I've like made a lot of notes of things that I want to come back to. But I don't have a ton right now that I could say that I don't think anyone else has really said I don't have any original ideas or theories on it. Um, I think Dan LeClaire is, uh, you know, it's an interesting prospect to put forward. Um, I think there's some good information there. But again, I think it just it needs to be like decoded and then decoded and reinterpreted and reinterpreted. And then I don't know, really, what do you have once you've done all of that? Do you even have facts anymore? You just have sort of your own interpretation that's just a drop in the bucket. Do you think Clara was a real person? I do. I think, well, yeah, I mean, if I had to bet my life on it, probably not. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's possible. Like there, there's something there. There's something there's something there. I don't know. I'm, I'm somewhat undecided about it still. I don't know what I think about that book either. There are some some people who have a lot of uh, a lot of thoughts about it and think that Clara and Dan LeClaire and Max Gunther are onto something and telling the truth. And then there are a lot of people who completely discount it. But what bugs me is when someone says, "Oh, that book's garbage. It's rubbish." And I'm like, "Oh, well, have you read it?" Yeah. No. That that bugs me yeah, about everything. Oh, I'm not going to read that. It's trash. How do you know if you haven't read it? 
you know what? I was almost in that camp, I will say, when I saw the reviews for it on Amazon. Um, so I was like, oh, should I, you know, should I bother? Should I, you know, invest in this book? Because it's quite pricey. There's not a lot in circulation right now. So um, when I saw the reviews, I was kind of like, eh, I don't think I need this, you know, to further my investigation. But when uh, when I kind of heard a few more people that their opinion kind of meant a lot more to me. Um, again, like Marty Andrade to name just a few, probably the mo- most prominent one. I was like, okay, you know what? I should, I should give this a whirl and, you know, at least come to my own opinion of it instead of just listening to some Amazon reviews that are trashing it. I'm curious now. I can't believe there are Amazon reviews for a book that hasn't been published <laughs> since Amazon was created. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. They're good. You should read them. Some like there's a, there's a lot of positive reviews for it too. The negative ones, of course. I was like, okay, give me give me the scoop here. What's the goss? Why does this book suck? Oh my gosh, it's sixty seven dollars. Yeah. Okay, Tessa. Here's how stupid I am. <laughs> when I started this show, and I started talking about all these obscure books, mm-hmm. they were like three dollars a piece. Oh, that breaks my heart. <laughs> I wish I would have bought stacks and stacks of these books. I was going to buy a copy of the McCoy book the other day for a friend. And I oh. went online and it was like 55 bucks. D.B. Cooper, what really happened is $67. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, I think that's even cheaper than what I saw it go for. Uh, I want to say like, I don't know, two or three months ago, I saw it like over a hundred dollars. Maybe that was like with a Canadian conversion, but 44 people have reviewed it and 19 people wrote something about it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the ha 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 book. I mean, if you have, if you have a stack of those, you're rich. (laughs) Maybe, maybe if you sell them right now, but Mm -hmm. I have seen with my own eyes, many, many, many copies of that book Mm -hmm. and why is it valuable? That's the thing that gets me about the ha ha book. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess I, I guess it's the it's the it's purely the scarcity. It's not I can't be the quality of of the <laughs> of the writing, you know, or what's what's in it. They can't be right. <laughs> like that would be crazy. Even it's if just the scarcity, there are B- Cooper books that are more rare than ha ha ha. I believe. Mm-hmm. I just think it's that. Oh, it's the fanatics. It's the. the (laughs) There's definitely that element to it that made it real popular recently. Yeah. Yeah. The Forest Fen, who I don't know a lot about. So um, I'm not going to trash that. uh, Not going to trash that suspect. But um, I think that they're they're probably driving up the the price of the Ha 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 book. Right. But Forest Fen didn't write it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, all I know is there was like a lot of Forrest Fenn talk and then all of a sudden everyone's asking for the for the ha 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 book and now people are slanging them on like the D.B. Cooper black market. <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, Forrest Fenn that wrote that. It was written mm-hmm. by a guy named Rod Addicts. And you can go mm-hmm. to, I think the website is plagueofjustice.com. Let's see here. Yeah, it's plagueofjustice.com. Oh. And then you'll... You can read basically the entire story of who wrote Ha 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 on there. Oh, and okay. It, it was written by this guy who conspired with a couple other dudes to kill a crippled man. And they actually beat him to death with his own crutches, which, boy, is that a dark, <laughs> <laughs> a dark way to go out. Wow, what an uplifting 
Yeah. <laughs> Amazing and story. My heart gets, is so full now. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets arrested or during the investigation, I should say, mm-hmm. they find this document on his desk at work and it's just titled db cooper and they pick it up and it's like a beginning rough draft of some sort of db cooper story oh wow Um, and he was actually investigated as a suspect for like 10 seconds because of that (laughs) but they're like oh okay obviously it's not this guy but then he goes to jail for that murder and some arson and some other fraud stuff and then so this is all true like this this actually happened yes this is, oh my God. And then while he's in jail, he authors this book, Ha 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 by D.B. Cooper, um, using money that he raised working as a jailhouse lawyer. I mean, this whole story is so crazy on this so is, many levels. This is wild. I also feel like it's answering my question as to like why this book is maybe so sought after, because this is actually a pretty crazy story in itself. Oh yeah. But that book you could get. That's mm-hmm. way more interesting. Plague of Justice by Stan yeah. Terrell. It's written by the son of the man Rod Addicts killed. Oh, wow. And okay. it, it talks about the whole story. Even it goes into the publishing of the book. So huh. they were going to, he married a gal while he was in prison, which, you know, that's what you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> she helps him get this book published on the outside. And the publishing company and the printing company get into a dispute over payment. And then the printing company was written a letter by D.B. Cooper that said, hey, because of the errors in the printing and the fact that I'm not happy with the quality of the books, I've decided not to pay you, D.B. Cooper. So then they had actually printed a bunch of books that they couldn't really sell or use or do anything with. And so that's why, you know, I've seen, I've seen two boxes full of those books. Wow. Crazy. And, yeah, what a it, story. Jeez. It is an insane story. But yeah, I would get Plague of Justice by Stan Terrell. And he should be okay. coming on the show uh, pretty soon. I spoke to him on the phone last week. And it's oh, very a, cool. It's a really good book. I also figured out how to get your iPhone to read you a Kindle book. And I feel like a genius for figuring that out because (laughs) I read a lot of weird, obscure books and then there's never an audio book like Seth Rogen's new book. Oh yeah. There was an audio version of that to go along with Mm -hmm. it. Fantastic. But Stan Terrell's self-published plague of justice from 1997. No, there was no audio book for that. But wow. So you can get your iPhone, you get Siri to read it to you. It's not Siri. I don't. Okay. It's if you go into now we're getting real deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> you go like into accessibility and your settings. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like this swipe to read. And then if you go oh. on to your Kindle mm-hmm. and then you have to turn off auto scrolling, I learned because it doesn't work that way. Um, and then you just scroll down with two fingers at the top of the page. Yeah. Uh, your phone will just start reading it to you, but your screen has to remain on. Okay. Okay. Which is kind of a drag, but. Right. Yeah. You just got to have that puppy plugged in the whole time, basically. So it doesn't run out of juice, I guess. I guess so. Do you have any helpful cell phone tips for people? (laughs) (laughs) Low power mode all the time, 24 seven, low power mode. Save that battery life. So what really got you to the point where you couldn't put this case down? Hmm. 
I think when I found the volume of suspects and it was actually just really cool to me to read about all these people's lives, like all the Cooper suspects for the most part, like sort of the most prominent ones, I would say, um, you know, like your Dwayne Webbers and um, uh, Richard McCoy, all these people, they had really interesting lives just on their own, never mind the fact that, you know, they're claiming or are suspected to be this hijacker who's, you know, got away with, uh, you know, one of the most amazing, you know, I use that in whatever context, he was a criminal, okay, but he got away with this, like, pretty incredible crime, he pulled off this amazing feat, so to think that any one of these people could be this guy, I mean, that just kind of kept me sucked in. Okay, I have to get to the next person, the next person, the next person. And then trying to build out the suspect profile um, for who D.B. Cooper really was. That's what just keeps me stuck, I think, is who was this person? Who was he? What was he doing two weeks before the hijacking? What was his life like? Was he a single guy? Did he have a family? Did he have a wife? Was he divorced? Was he like a total loner, like guy who lived in the woods in a shack and just was like, you know, screw this. Um, this is, you know, did he have a terminal illness? Like what was this guy's deal? That is what I'm more interested in who he was beforehand than like, almost any other aspect of this case. I don't really care what he did after. Um, I do think he survived, but um, I, I want to know who he was the morning of November 24th, 1971, who he was two weeks before that, or even before that. So we obviously don't know this, so we would just be speculating, but mm-hmm. what was his motivation? Do you think it was oh, just cash? So I really go back and forth on this. Um The fact that he was reported as being kind of giddy when they brought the money on makes me, that pulls me back into the camp of like, he needed the money for something. There wasn't any sort of altruistic or um, other kind of like, you know, bigger conspiracy at play. Like he was just a dude who was hard up, needed the money, but it, I almost like, that's almost not good enough for me. Like, I don't want to just think that, you know, he just did that. I mean, you know, $200,000 back then, of course, it was like a 1.2 million. So it was a lot of money. Right. But I, 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 I'm trying to find that bigger, more like noble purpose, but I don't, I don't know if it exists. I kind of, am more in the camp that it probably doesn't. And I just need to like resign to the fact that he was a dude that needed cash. And that was, I guess, the easiest way for him to do it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely lean towards the motivation being cash. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible that there was something else, maybe, you know, the grudge. Mm-hmm. He wanted to mm-hmm. stick it to the man. He wanted to get against that specific, maybe against the FBI. You know, he yeah. says he doesn't have a grudge against that airline. Maybe it's mm-hmm. uh, aviation in general. I don't know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. who did he really, who did he really get by doing this? The insurance company and the airline paid that money. Mm-hmm. So who, who did he really stick it to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I think back, okay, like try to put myself in, in this guy's shoes, right? Which is really hard to do because I would never <laughs> do this. Um, but, uh, you know, I've like rage quit 
jobs before and like done like stupid things on my way out, you know, like Jerry Maguire styles kind of, you know, like, okay, I'm taking this goldfish with me and I don't care. <laughs> like no one, you know, <laughs> like nobody really, you know, okay, Tessa, see ya. Um, but uh, you know, like sometimes when you're, if you're pissed off at, at your employer or something like, yeah, I don't know. You're just going to prove it's more like proving to, to whoever rejected you or took something from you, took your livelihood, you know, and I'm of course like leaning more towards that. He was like a Boeing employee that um, was disgruntled because he got a pink slip and then, you know, was kind of left with all these um, loose ends to tie up maybe financially and whatnot. Um, but yeah, like maybe he was just like, no, I got to prove this to myself. I got to prove this to you guys that I'm worth something that I am someone you should give a damn about. Um, or even, you know, like if he had a, if he, if he had one of those, you know, (laughs) stereotypical wives who was always telling him that, you know, oh, you're no good. You can't provide for this family. And he was like, oh yeah. All right. (laughs) Let's do this. Let's roll. So. Oh, I like that motivation. He had to stick it to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) To get the 200 grand. The least popular theory. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Is the flight path accurate? Um, so when I went to, when I went to CooperCon, um, a few of us did like a tour through the FBI drop zone. Um, and I was kind of more subscribing before to the Western flight path that Eric Eulis has, has coined and has a lot of really good, um, you know, points and um, theories just surrounding that and how he's mapped that out and his reasons behind it. Um, but when I went through the drop zone myself, I kind of, it gave me like, a, you know, I'd never been really to that area of, of Washington state before. Um, and Oregon and all that. So I kind of like got a better lay of the land and it kind of made me think like, you know what, the FBI flight path might actually work. It just really depends, I guess, on what you think he did after he landed. If you think he landed, of course, um, if you think that he like went quite quickly to uh, Tina Bar and, you know, buried the money there, then yeah, you got to work with the Western flight path. If you think that maybe he hung out in the woods for a little bit, he had some other kind of plan B, whether it was someone else on the ground helping him, then there's really no reason to, in my opinion, um, to think that the Western or sorry, the uh, FBI flight path is off. I'm so tired of debating the flight path. Right. Like, (laughs) I always, I was talking to Eric at CooperCon and it's like, why does that matter? Why does it matter? Yes. Okay. I've, we don't have evidence for it being on the Western flight path. Mm -hmm. We have the flight path that the air force and Northwest Mm -hmm. Orient put together for the FBI. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go with that as being right. I think it matters in the when it comes much further down the line to the debate about how the money got to Tina Bar. I think that's that's my take on why it matters. Um, now there's like there's there's quite a bit like there's quite a big delta in between those two things, those two like events. Um, but yeah, I mean it does like you you can live your life, Darren, and not not care what which flight path it is. That's okay, buddy. Like. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> so yeah. is the drop zone accurate would be the next question. Yeah. So that's, 
I mean, why haven't they found anything? Like with all the people that have been through that area, both like, you know, around the time of the actual event and then in the you know months and years afterwards, why didn't they find anything? So then you can go back to, okay, well, the drop, the drop zone and the flight path is probably wrong. So now they're both wrong. I don't know. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's possible. Why haven't we found anything? But I mean, it is, it's a really, really, really dense wooded area. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not Alaska. I do want people to kind of get that out of their heads that he like jumped in like the middle of nowhere. There was no civilization anywhere nearby. And it was this frozen tundra. Okay. Like it's the Pacific Northwest. So slow your roll. It's not that cold. Like even that night was not that crazy, but it is like, it is remote. That's one thing that I was like, when we we're driving through these like windy streets where we went kind of close to where the Amboy shoot was found. Um, we couldn't get onto that property because the, um, the property owner had passed away and we couldn't get in touch with relatives, blah, blah, blah. But uh, we kind of went in the area. And one thing that really struck us was that, you know, like you're driving down pretty much like just a two way road with the ditches on either side. When we were there, we drove for like about four or five hours through the whole area. We didn't see anyone like walking on the street. Like it's just, it's just not somewhere that unless you have a car, you're not, you're not traveling these, these roads. So if you, you know, there were people that were driving around that night and they didn't record, like they didn't report uh, or it wasn't recorded anyone being sort of seen on those roads that would have really stuck out. Um, I can say that from actually driving through the area myself. There was a report of some, gal I want to say she was like 19 coming home from work said she saw someone walking on Lewis River Road which is mm. the the road that runs parallel to the Lewis River right on yeah. on the north side mm-hmm. but I feel like that's one of those oh you heard about DB Cooper a few days later and then you're like oh I yeah. think I might have saw someone that night totally yeah there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of those that pop up even now, like as I am doing research or, um, you know, there was a YouTube video. I was, I think it was on Dan Grider's channel. And uh, there's a, a guy who commented that, oh, you know, that night I was, um, I heard about the hijacking as I was driving home from, I think he was going to, I think he was in university. And uh, he went on his radio and intercepted the pilots talking to, uh, you know, like the air traffic control and he kind of was leaning towards the that Bradichak never actually said, oh, at this time, we think that, you know, like our, our friend took leave of us like that wasn't actually recorded anywhere. So we don't maybe we don't actually know even when that pressure bump occurred. But this guy is saying this like pretty far after the fact. I don't know if he ever reported this anywhere else other than a YouTube comment. Um, but I'm trying to get in touch with him now and talk to him in the new year and be like, okay, like what's, what, what happened here? What evidence do you have? Like, you know, do you, did he said that he brought, brought it to the attention of a radio station. Okay. Like, is there any way to backtrack on a lot of these claims that, yeah, otherwise it's just something that someone might be saying in hindsight for whatever reason, they want to be part of the story. They want people to believe that they had any part of it or they know something. So it just adds to everything that's swirling around the vortex. Yeah, that comment, I think our friend is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things I feel like somebody said that, Mm -hmm. and then it just got repeated. Mm -hmm. 
And no one can find sort of the origin of that. Can that be backed up? But that's something we've all been saying for seven years now. Yeah, well, Radichak did say it in the HBO documentary. He did say that himself, that this is like, you know, he even did the whole like, you know, holding the the little pretend, uh, you know, microphone up to his mouth and being like, our friend just took leave of us. So he said it himself, at least on camera um, in that recent documentary. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe he's even not sure if that's exactly what he said at this point. Right. It's been it's been 50 years. We should start a new one. Like <laughs> it was a fact that D.B. Cooper loved Strawberry Fanta. A fact. <laughs> was Fanta even around in 71, man? Oh, uh, this is, that's this a is good point. Abraham I Lincoln some quotes more. on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Do you believe he survived the jump? Yeah, I do. 100%. What leads you to that? I think that he knew what he was doing enough. And he got like, uh, this is like a bad, all right, this is not my favorite point, but it's just what came into my head right now. But man, the guy got lucky on a lot of things that day. Why wouldn't he get lucky and survive the jump too? That's the worst. That's the worst argument. I can hear myself. But um, no, I think he had, I think he had the know-how to survive, to do the jump to, I think he, you know, I think he knew what he was doing. Maybe he wasn't like an expert uh, jumper, but I think he knew what he was doing. I don't think the conditions that night were so horrible that, you know, like that would have caused him to, you know, die of hypothermia. I don't think he, I don't think he landed in the water and that got him. I think we would have probably found a parachute or something if, if it did um, happen that way. Um, But yeah, no, I a hundred percent think that he, um, that he lived. And I think, I also do think the money fine supports that. I grew up in Woodland, Washington and, and you live just outside Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. So the weather is pretty similar in those two places. Totally. When you hear about this story and people say it was a storm. Yeah. No, it's not a storm. It was raining. Yeah. And you and exactly. I, it's raining <laughs> just means that it, water is falling from the sky, not necessarily a storm. Yeah. And rain is something that happens, you know, 60% of the days of the year. So yep, absolutely. No big deal. And not an area that doesn't really get real heavy storms. Totally. Yeah. Not at all. And the hypothermia thing, November, yeah, it's cold. Yeah, it's wet. But you know, the people who live there are going outside in shorts and a poncho. Like it's not yeah, freezing and rigid or anything like that. Oh yeah. No, I, I went camping when I was like 16 by uh like a a river um in a very densely wood like this was like serious outdoor survivalist camping super unprepared for what I was signing up for it and we did a night it was boxing day so dead of winter um and like I didn't I was I was uncomfortable but you know like I wasn't wearing any kind I was wearing like jeans you know like a a winter jacket nothing crazy Um, and I was fine. I was frozen. Like I was very cold, but I survived. So, and I was there for like almost 24 hours. So Cooper could have done it. Was his bomb real? I don't think it was. Um, I have been leaning more towards that. They were like road flares or something that he could sort of recycle, reuse for later. Why did he take it with him? Because he needed to use. Well, I mean, for one thing, the attache case is like another storage 
facility for whatever he needed to carry. I think he probably had more supplies or something in there maybe than what Tina Mucklow saw. Um, but I think, I mean, number one, I don't think he wanted to leave any evidence behind if he could help it. I think the tie was left, um, you know, by accident. Um, but yeah, I think he was, I think he had other things maybe in there that were for later use. Um, and yeah, I don't think the bomb was real. I don't think the bomb was real either. The only thing I wonder is, did he take the attache case with him or did he throw it out the back of the plane? Yeah. So that, I think that comes down to a matter of practicality. Like he had his hands quite full, so I could see him tossing it if, if need be, like, if he's like, okay, this is way more than what I had planned to, to jump with. If he thought that, you know, he's going to have the money in a bag that, you know, wasn't the bag that they ended up giving him. Um, but yeah, he could have, he could have tossed it. Um, I would like to think that we would have found that as well. Um, and I don't know the logistics of how, like, I mean, none of us know, of course, but I don't know what the logistics would have been like of him, like holding on to that briefcase while jumping again, like his hands were very, very full. So I don't know if whatever he had in there. Um, and another reason I don't think it was a real bomb, because I just don't think that that's in his character. I don't think he intended to hurt or kill anybody um, that night. If it like under really under any circumstance, I don't think that fits his character profile, but um, yeah, I don't know if he, if he, if he chucked it or if he, you know, if he was able somehow to strap it on and take him with him. There's reports he had either like a cloth sack or a brown paper bag with him also. What do you mm -hmm. think was in there? Oh man, that's a great question. I think about that a lot. Um, it could be, ah, so I, I want to think that it was either like something he could wear, you know, cause he didn't really jump with probably the right gear for that kind of endeavor. Um, maybe it was a radio if he had, if you want to subscribe to the, the, um, accomplice theory, um, that's, that, that would be a great idea. Otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. Some sort of like, you know, outdoor wilderness survival stuff like flashlights, something to, um, you know, something to like keep warm or start a fire with if he thought like, okay, I might be wherever I land, I might be stuck out here for more time than I really care to be. Um, so, you know, something that's going to make sure he gets through the night. I always imagined it would be gloves and goggles. Yeah. But then I was talking to this parachutist three or four months ago and he was like, bro, you could put those in your pocket. And yeah, like, for sure. Oh yeah. I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now yeah. I have no idea what he would have put in there. Yeah. Maybe it was the lunch from his wife who thought nothing of him. <laughs> it's a snack for later. Do you think the fact that they released one sketch, the Bing Crosby sketch, and then mm -hmm. got nowhere with it, so they redid it and then released the Cary Grant sketch, mm -hmm. what do you think that did to the case? Oof. Too many, too many suspects. Too many uncles and and grandfathers and brothers and dads. Um, yeah, I mean, the I, the sketches are a big problem for me. I think that the people who they asked didn't get, you know, besides Tina Mucklow and Bill Mitchell, they got, I think, about five, I want to say five other passengers. Um, I could be wrong. It might be like seven or something. But they, they got people who didn't really get, I think, a close enough, long enough look at what this guy really looked like 
And all of that was kind of compiled together. And like, first also, like, I mean, it's not a photograph, it's a sketch. I have looked up police sketches that have led to arrests and very, very, very seldom do like, would I connect the the drawing with the person who actually committed the crime? Like, I am amazed that almost that this like is a helpful tool in, in bringing people to justice. So I am hard pressed to think that the sketches are very useful at all. Um, but then having one sketch that looks like one person and one sketch that looks like pretty much a completely different person. And then having, you know, like Tina Mucklow and um, I don't know if Bill Mitchell, what he really thought of the sketches, but um, Florence Schaffner both saying like, eh, no, not really. Like neither of the sketches, like one is too handsome and like one didn't really look like him enough or at all. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't have like the direct quotes in front of me, but I don't think the sketches were helpful at all. And I think it was maybe like a detriment to the case. I agree. And I think it really goes to show you the fact that the passengers didn't know they're being hijacked because mm-hmm. none of them bothered to pay attention to that person on the plane. Yep. In so much as one person described the suit he was wearing as russet brown, possibly right. velour with wide lapels. Yeah. It's like, that's so outside yeah. of everything else that are you even, do you even know who you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. I, when I, I, that was one of my favorite parts actually in Skyjack it was reading um, and Jeffrey Gray, like kind of, he, he put it together in the book, like so well, where it when you're reading it, it's almost spliced like a movie where you're seeing one, one witness come in after the other. And he was 35. There was no way he was older than 40. Oh, he was uh, 55. Oh, he had brown hair. He had black hair. He had like this skin. He had that skin. And it's just like, oh my God, of course, like these sketches are going to be the product of like these like really muddy waters that you're trying to kind of like sift through to get a really clear understanding of what this guy looked like. Oh yeah. And it, it really annoys me when people will come on either the, the Facebook group or one of the forums or send me an email and say, Hey, has Tina seen this picture of this guy? Yes. Oh I'm my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> it was 50 years ago. And the yeah. fact that she's had so many pictures put in front of her face yeah. I mean, there's no way she could identify him. And she's even come forward and said that, yeah. as has Bill Mitchell. Yeah. But it just keeps coming up like, oh, if she saw my suspect, she'd know right away. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I th- sometimes I think back like, okay, could I describe my uh, grade one teacher? Could I describe her? And I saw her every day for, you know, like a whole year of my life. Could I, or even, I don't know, a high school teacher, something more recent, could I describe them to a sketch artist and actually believe that what I, what I tell them, what her, what her, his or her nose looked like, what the length of their chin, was it rounded? Was, did she have high cheekbones? Was it sunken in? Like, do, do I trust myself to recall that? And now you're asking someone who was on the plane who didn't really even like, you know, maybe you went to the bathroom a couple of times and you saw the guy in the back row. Now, yeah, tell me what he looked like. Like, no, that's not going to work, you know? Oh, yeah. Or even better. How about this? Tessa, I'm going to show you 10 pictures of women today. Which one was your first grade teacher? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I didn't, I didn't watch her age. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I don't like when people lead with my suspect looks like one of the sketches. Then I'm, I'm kind of already like halfway out the door. Yeah. I bring it up all the time. Most men in 71 looked very similar. Yeah. Even with the suspects, a lot of the suspects do look pretty similar. Mm -hmm. The thing that drives me a little crazy is you have suspects that have specific features that really stand out. Like Dwayne Weber and Richard McCoy have big Dumbo ears. Yep. Yep. And if you're going to describe someone and they have one very specific thing, that's Mm -hmm. the first thing you say. Yep. I don't remember what color his eyes were, but he had big ears. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even with, um, with, uh, with Dwayne Weber, he had, like, he had really distinct features in my opinion. Like he had a, he had a pretty wide, uh, nose at the end. He had kind of a crooked mouth, um, you know, we had like a low brow, like the, I don't know if, if I had a good look at somebody, like I would be able to describe those features or I would at least know like, okay, it was not this guy for sure. So sometimes I don't know why we still have suspects that are in the running because like it, like you said, they have very distinguishable features. Let's get into some suspects. Okay. Actually, before we do that, you're Canadian. Yes. Why are there no Canadian suspects? Everyone says, oh, maybe he was Canadian because he used the word knapsack and the Dan Cooper comic connection. Did he say knapsack? I've never heard that before. Yeah, he asked for the money to be delivered in a knapsack. And that's considered to be Canadian? You guys don't say knapsack in in America? No, I rarely Hmm. ever hear the term knapsack. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. Okay. Um, Wait, isn't William Gusset? He's... Canadian. Wolfgang Gossett? Yeah. Or yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, he was born William and then changed his name to Wolfgang at some point. But Okay. Right. But he, wasn't he Canadian? I know he like lived in Canada for some period of his life. I'll have to double check on that. I think he did. I know he had a a safety deposit box in in Vancouver, BC, but he he lived in Salt Lake and then the Oregon coast. Okay, because I was, I thought that he was the only Canadian suspect, but I'm not like I'm, I, I don't want to state that he was actually from Canada, but I do know, yeah, he lived here at some point. Um, but yeah, why aren't there any Canadian suspects? Um, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the he was from Canada thing because. Well, if especially if you if you're trying to connect it to the Cooper, uh, the Dan Cooper comic. Um, because that was so obscure. I really can't stress this enough (laughs) when I talk to Americans. Um, like if, if someone in like Quebec, the province of Quebec, if they had access to this Dan Cooper comic and they got on the plane that day, they would have the most noticeable (laughs) French Canadian accent. There's no way that it is slipping by. I have to tell you like, okay, it's possible that they were from Canada, like that Cooper was from Canada and he spoke French and he read this comic and was like, I'm going to call myself Dan Cooper. Like it's possible. I really don't think it's likely. And anyone listening to this, if you're like, Hey, this girl kind of sounds like she's from Minnesota. It's because I'm from Canada and like, we do have a different dialect. Um, So it's, you know, it's not maybe as noticeable as, as others, but um, 
I kind of trust that Tina Mucklow, she was with him for what, like four hours in total? Yeah. Like something like that, that she would have picked up on something unless he spent like a ton of time in the States. Um, and he, you know, kind of adapted a little bit more to the American dialect, but like I took acting courses and like, I was trying to, you know, try my hand as an actor at one point and I had to take standard American dialect lessons. And let me tell you, it was one of the hardest out of all the dialects for me to adapt to. And I, I take kind of a little bit more naturally to different languages or picking up on nuances of other, um, of other languages and dialects, but America, just being able to speak American with no discernible accent is really difficult. So I don't think kind of for those reasons, I don't think he was Canadian. It's, I'm not saying it was impossible. I won't die on that Hill, but I do think he was American. How do you like Wolfgang as a suspect? I think he's interesting. Um, I don't, he, did he, um, I don't know if you know, but did he admit to being Cooper or like claim to be Cooper at any point? Yep. He confessed to both of his sons, either on their 18th okay. or 21st birthdays. What and a nice gift. Also, yeah. He also confessed to two different lawyers, gave written statements. Okay. See that for me is a disqualifier. As soon as you, as soon as you put your hand up and do the I'm Spartacus thing, now you're out. You're not, you're not Cooper. You're Yeah. You want to be, we all, we all do most of us. So yeah, no, that's a disqualifier for me. He's an, he's an interesting, you know, he's got, he's got some of the right qualities or capabilities. Um, I think he was also a little bit too young though, right? He was on the younger side. I want to say he would have been like 43 or 42. Okay. Mm-hmm. So not, not like 28 or 27. Not Robert Rackstraw young. What do you think of Rackstraw? Oh, <laughs> Rackstraw. That's a terrible suspect. <laughs> Why is Rackstraw yeah. a terrible suspect? Okay. So for me, like number one, the age discrepancy, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Bill Mitchell would have called Robert Rackstraw, like a geeky old guy sitting across from him. Uh, and I don't think that Tina Mucklow being six years, his junior would have also described him as being like, you know, in his late forties, early fifties or something like that. That's like, unless the guy was just rapid, like Benjamin button aging, like that's just not, I, that's just like not a thing that I think is, is within the realm of possibility. Um, also, I don't, from, from what I've heard and read, whatever about from people that had that new Rackstraw and from what I've read about him, I don't think that he could have gone, gone on that flight and like not hit on Tina at some point, not been probably like a little bit crude or vulgar um, at any point. Um, I like from from what I've heard about the guy, like it was just he had a different MO. It sure seems like it. Mm hmm. I wonder why that suspect is still being pushed. I think it's that stupid code letter that people are like, you know, that, that letter that was sent into the FBI and people have decoded it. And it says like, I'm, you know, like I'm DB Cooper, but there's like a Robert Rackstraw like tie in if you decode it a certain way, which again, like, so what he, maybe he did, maybe Rackstraw did send that into the FBI and did claim to be, db cooper that doesn't make him db cooper because he sent a coded letter doug perry at the oregonian actually 
took the work of the code breakers or is it case breakers took the work mm-hmm. of the case breakers and sent it to legit code breakers and cryptologists. And mm-hmm. they said the methods they use to do this are nonsense. Uh, according to that method, mm-hmm. I can make it say I am SpongeBob and <laughs> gave an example of how to do that. That doesn't so, surprise me. Those guys are not legit. No, I Sorry. just the the- legit, Tom. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <laughs> it boggles my mind. That's still being out there and, and pushed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Like, I honest to God, like I have, I've thrown theories out there. I mean, like I, there's no hill that I'll die on, you know, like you, you can't with a case like this, you can't be so planting your flag and digging your heels in about, about suspects, like, especially ones like that, that have like really clear sort of like disqualifiers in my opinion, like age and character profile. So, you know, it'd be, again, it'd be cool if it was somebody like Rockstar, he's like such a renegade and um, had a really interesting military career. And yeah, I worked in like work for the CIA, I guess, at one point or something like that. Like, sure, he'd be, a, he'd be an interesting suspect or he is an interesting suspect until you kind of like do a scratch the surface a tiny bit more. And then you realize like, nah. <laughs> so how do you like Barb Dayton as a suspect? So I have to separate like my, my love for Barb Dayton. Like I really just, for so many reasons, I think like her life was so interesting and amazing. Like um, even just like really little things from her childhood that when she was growing up, her older brother was, or sorry, her younger brother was like better looking and taller than she was. So she learned how to walk on stilts to like be able to kind of compete, you know, like, which I think is just kind of, this is like, this is an interesting person here, you know? Um, And I also think that's when people say like, oh, it couldn't be Barb Dayton because, you know, she's way too short. I'm like, well, she didn't know how to walk on stilts. Not saying it was Barb Dayton, calm down. But, um, you know, there's a lot of things that I think make her a really compelling suspect. Um, But, and, and, you know, there's even like there, another good thing for Barb in Barbadian's favor is is that there is a grudge. There's a lot of grudges there. There's a lot of, you know, she needed money. Um, she had been, um, you know, she kind of lost her dreams of being able to work in the Air Force or like being a, I, I forget what kind of. Like she wanted her, to be a commercial pilot. But her she wanted to be a commercial pilot. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Far. So. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't up to par. So, you know, that's like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good sort of meat there to to chew through as to like the why um and that's one of the reasons why i like barb a lot because a lot of the uh, quite a few of the suspects i can we can place them we can place them there we can give them um you know we can they've got the skills or whatnot but the why isn't as clear but for barb we've got like a lot of the whys are to me are super super checked off but a lot of the other things no when people ask me who I think DB Cooper was, I say, I, I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. But if I get, if I got to choose one of the available suspects, mm-hmm. I would choose Barb Dayton. Oh, you because, would. Oh yeah. Hey, because that makes me happy <laughs> of all of the available suspects, you know, the DB Cooper case is crazy, mm-hmm. but if it turns out that Barb Dayton was DB Cooper, oh, 
So now the story just became insane. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. Cooper was a trans woman. I mean, yeah. what is a more Portland story than that? I oh my god, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, I, I, I really loved that. For for a while, I will say I was like kind of leading with that, um, and I just hated how people were so quick to discount her just for the fact that you know that she was a trans woman that oh that's preposterous i'm like okay well no it's not like you know learn a little bit more about who this individual was and then come back to me and and look me in the eye and say that but um that made me kind of want to be in her corner a little bit more but ultimately no i i don't think that it that it was her and again for one of the reasons it's the fact that she confessed to the formants that is like that for me that's a huge disqualifier Confession is a disqualifier. Okay, how about this confession? Kenny Christensen tried to give a confession on his deathbed, but his brother stopped him and then assumed he was trying to confess to being Cooper. Is Kenny Christensen D.B. Cooper? No, but for reasons other than that, I don't think I don't I don't think he fits. Why not? Like, so he worked on the airline. You know, he he had knowledge of of the of you know of the planes probably 727s i don't think that there was enough of uh like he was gainfully employed why would he threaten his his employment by doing something like that like can if you can give me kind of like a good enough reason um okay i'll consider him a little bit more um i think that someone would have recognized him at the airport or at some point like you know the airline industry at that time must have been kind of like a pretty tight network maybe i'm wrong about that this is just completely an assumption i do feel like he was that would be a really 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 risky move like and i also think that cooper was not the type to like you know um to use kind of a vulgar term like he wasn't the type to shit where he eats so i don't think that he would have been that close to home um and then people like to say oh you know that money that was found um uh, I think like in an attic or something, um, I, or was it might be confusing him with McCoy who stuffed the, his cash in, in an attic. There was it. I don't think there was money found. There was like a hidey hole. found. Right. In okay. And he purchased, he bought, he like bought a house shortly after the hijacking. Is that right? Yeah. And that story has been sort of chewed apart because yeah, originally it was, oh, he bought this house in cash was the story going around. Mm-hmm. And then you have sort of these D.B. Cooper sleuths online that dug into it and were like, actually, no, he uh, held the note and on a mortgage, the house right? and had a mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, I think his brother wanted him to be Cooper. Um, and I, I question if that whole deathbed conversation took place because um, it was his brother that wanted to contact um the woman who wrote Nora Ephron. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, like I don't know. It just it's just a little suspect for me. Yeah, working there for years after that, I really struggle with the idea yeah. that you're going to commit a crime against Northwest Orient Airlines where you work. Yeah, and then you're going to continue to work there. Yeah, that doesn't that's... make any sense. <laughs> And, and Cooper also had to be shown how to lower the aft stairs. Mm-hmm. So he knew somehow that you could jump from the aft stairs, but yeah. he didn't know how to lower them. Yeah. I think yeah, Kenny the- Christensen had the opposite knowledge, yeah. how to lower them, 
but not if the plane could fly with them down or if it could be jumped. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's things that even the pilots didn't know. Um, so how would, how would Kenny Christensen know that? But then, yeah, like you said, not know how to open that, um, uh, open or yeah, lower the air stairs. How about James Klansnick? So I think Klansnick is a great candidate. Um, from when I first saw, uh, Nikki, uh, Nicholas Broughton's, uh, Facebook live with, uh, Eric Ulis, I was like, oh, wow, this is like a really compelling suspect, um, checks off a ton of boxes. Um, but I know Nikki's going to hate hearing this because it's the one thing that I think everyone probably says, um, is the why, where's the motive, right? The guy seemed to already kind of have a, a pretty comfortable, good life. And then went on to still live a comfortable, good life. He did make some like interesting investments um, in his later years, like was one of the first investors of some like fancy ski resort. So like, that's interesting. Um, I think he has some family members that, you know, again, after the fact and after people have probably like fed them this like, hey, what if your, you know, uncle or someone or cousin was like this amazing, like unsolved hijacking guy. Um, They've been like, oh yeah, I could see that it was him. So I think he's, I think he's interesting, but I, I need a little more before James Klansnick kind of rises a little bit higher on, on the list for me. I do like that. He never confessed. He is, he was like the right age. Um, he had like, you know, he worked at Boeing, so he would have had the knowledge. You can explain the tie particles most likely. Um, I don't know a ton about what his specific role was at Boeing, but um, he's got a lot of the, he has a lot of what we should be looking for and what we should expect from the ultimate Cooper suspect. Well said. How about Ted Braden? Okay. I know nothing about Ted Braden. <laughs> so. Oh, you're I, missing out. I know. Yeah. And there's been so much more buzz. Like I, I've gone really like, I want to say almost six months of not hearing that name ever. And now it's like every second or third Facebook post is about Ted Braden. So I am very excited actually to learn a lot more about him. Um, I think from what I'm like hearing, there's some questions, um, like pointed questions about his um, professional career and how that fits into who Cooper was and why he was wearing like who this guy was that was wearing this like executive kind of looking business suit that that isn't really uh, like a, a perfect match or really obvious. Um, but it sounds like he definitely has a lot of the other capabilities that we would require um, from a Cooper suspect from like a very, very capable Cooper, maybe overqualified. But again, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of really, you know, just shooting off here because I haven't done my research. Ted Braden's a great suspect. I think the only thing that people look down on, pun intended, mm -hmm. is Braden's mm -hmm. a short dude like myself. I want to say he's 5'7 mm -hmm. or 5'8. So okay. that sort of puts him a little outside of the uh, mm, yeah. conventional physical description. But again, you know, most of the time he was seated on a plane. Yep. Yep. But I would, looking for a title over there. Uh, Paratrooper of Fortune by Drew Beeson. Right. Yeah. Great, yeah. great book. I'd highly recommend that. And I, I like it a lot too, because it's one of the newer books. Mm. So when you're reading Max Gunther's book, um, yeah. <laughs> no one had the internet when that book came out. Yep. 
So a lot of time has has gone by between Max Gunther and Drew Beeson's books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's on my list once I finish the books that I've got going right now. What do you think of Sheridan Peterson? Oh, oh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I okay, so one of my first sort of instincts when I was getting a little bit deeper and deeper into the vortex and uh, putting up together a profile um, was I was pretty, pretty much convinced, okay, this guy definitely like Cooper definitely worked at Boeing, but what role might he have had? Because the whole thing with the air stairs was really like a big sticking point for me. Um, And I had actually dated a technical writer at Boeing at one point um, and had pretty good sense of like what, a day in the life of a technical writer is, right? Like you sit with subject matter experts day after day after day after day. You get a really good understanding, um, like really, really clear in-depth understanding of like how things are supposed to work. Um, Even like sometimes deeper, you know, depending on what your role is exactly, um, a really good technical understanding of them. But do you actually do it yourself? No. So I was like, okay, this this is a guy who had like this really clear in-depth knowledge of the airplane. But when it came to actually doing something himself physically, he didn't have the muscle memory. So I was like, that to me sounds like a technical writer. So then I watched, um, but I hadn't heard of Sheridan Peterson or anything. And then I watched um, I watched the Eric Ulis on uh, History's Greatest Mysteries. And they brought Sheridan on and I was like, there's no way it's this guy. Like, this is the most terrible suspect ever. Like, this guy's totally toying with them. Um, You know, he doesn't match. Like, you know, he's got blue eyes and this and that. Um, And like, he was probably up to something, you know, like he's, he's, he's a bit shifty. And, you know, he's got that like mischievous twinkle in his eye. So I don't think he was like you know, Mr. Clean or anything, like in terms of what he was up to in the seventies, he was up to something, but I didn't, I didn't really think that he was like a great um, suspect at first. But then when I read a lot more about him, I was like, oh my God, he's a technical writer at Boeing. He had this like, um, you know, experience in, um, in the military and like, you know, he was a smoke jumper and this and that. I was like, okay, this, he is actually a great suspect. But the, for me, the disqualifier is actually not even, so I will break my rule here for Sheridan, not so much that he kind of was like teasing or almost admitting to it, but that he was not a smoker. I won't even say the blue eyes thing is a disqualifier because Cooper was wearing sunglasses for so much of the flight. I do think it's possible that they got his eye color wrong. Uh, like I, I, They probably didn't, but it's possible. But the fact that that Sheridan Peterson was never reported as being a smoker at any point of his life. That's a disqualifier for me on Sheridan, but he is such a good suspect. So it breaks my heart. Do you smoke cigarettes? No. Have you ever smoked cigarettes? I tried. (laughs) I was like, this looks like fun. Couldn't, couldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I've probably smoked maybe three cigarettes in my whole life. Mm -hmm. But when someone says, Oh, he was just smoking to, to hide. No chance. No chance. I challenge all the non-smokers listening to this show right now. You have five hours. I'll give you five (laughs) hours. Yep. You have to smoke eight cigarettes. Yeah. And and let me know how you're doing on number three. Let me know how number four is going. Because I don't know if you're going to get to number eight as a non-smoker pretending. 
to no smoke chance. cigarettes. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree 100%. It's no chance. All right. Richard McCoy. Ooh, another another good one. Um, again, he had uh, had the skills. I like that he had um, he had a history of being like a war hero. He uh, saved um, like did some crazy maneuvers and stuff when he was a pilot in the war. Um, saved a bunch of guys, helped them. I think survive. Um, I don't know if they were POWs for a period of time, but had like he had survival instincts and survival skills, not just for himself, but to actually save other people, and was a decorated hero because of it. Um, so that's that's good. That works in his favor. Um, and I mean, he did the he he did it. He pulled it off himself, just happened to be a little bit too much of like a blabbermouth and, you know, told the wrong person and got caught. So, you know, that I don't think, I think that's why Cooper has avoided us because he, I don't think he told a soul. Um, but, but McCoy's a good suspect, you know, the, the McCoy stands like, I get you, you know, I don't think it was him. Um, I don't think he did two jumps. I like that's, that seems kind of crazy to me. Um, but I guess it's possible, but I think it's highly unlikely. Um, but yeah, when it comes down to the physical description, I think those ears <laughs> would have been a dead giveaway. What about the the thought that the flight crew is in on it? Man, don't even bring that. Don't even bring that my way. That's that's just some crazy talk. That's so wild. I have very little respect for that theory for so many reasons mostly because it's just batshit crazy. <laughs> it's just so, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to like intelligently like debate that argument. Like it's just, to me, it's just so, so dumb. Do you want me to debate it? No, I don't. <laughs> it gets yeah. brought up so much. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to join the Stevie Cooper Facebook group. I have an idea. Yeah. I think the flight crew was in on it. Oh, yeah. what, what an amazing, fresh idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so dumb. <laughs> Sorry, I got nothing else. I can't dignify it further. How about the fact that he hid on the plane, never jumped, and then just sort of walked away? Maybe he, while he's hiding in this magic secret compartment, he changed into a police uniform. That would make a great movie. Um, but in real life, I don't think that, um, I don't think that that happened. I know they had dogs search the plane and I do trust, I trust dogs more than people in general. So in this case, I also, that also applies. I think that, you know, they had enough of his scent, um, probably like on the plane that the dogs would have picked him up if he had been hiding somewhere else. Um, there's that story of that. Um, I think he was Cuban, uh, that Cuban exile who, um, hid in the wheel well of a plane on like a pretty long flight and survived. So, I mean, I guess like, yeah, I guess it's possible that he snuck out even on the ground, um, at some point, but there's that scene in catch me if you can, where Leonardo DiCaprio's character makes his like final, final escape, I think. And he like disassembles the toilet and in, in the, airplane lavatory and somehow escapes that way and that that was fabricated for anyone who thinks that that was real that was not that was not like he didn't do that um frank abagnale so i don't think there was really anywhere that cooper could have hid on that plane and come up with a clever you know disguise and and pieced out no i'm not buying it what about frank abagnale as a suspect oh (laughs) 
that'd be cute. Um, I think he would have been again, far too young. That, not my idea, by the way. Has someone legitimately thought that? Oh yeah. I had many or conversations with a gentleman um, no. who told me he was just going to keep working on it to get ready to come on the show with his theory. Oh, bless his heart. And, and then at a certain point <laughs> he just disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's yeah. I mean, sure. Like, why don't we just find someone who's already done like a million amazing thing or like, you know, crazy things and just tack that on. Right. Why not? You're DB Cooper too, on top of it. Like that's, that's just lazy in my opinion. (laughs) Well, there is that sort of, it's popular to just assume all of the unsolved crimes were committed by one person. Yeah. I mean, I've done a couple of episodes on that. (laughs) I covered uh, Frank Morris and the Anglin brothers. Right. And I covered, uh, what's his name? Ed Edwards. Mm. And both of those suspects committed all of the unsolved crimes uh, in between 1960 and pretty much today, because Ed Edwards also got Teresa Hall back and John Benet Ramsey. Oh, my goodness. See, that's just lazy investigating, in my opinion. Like, you have to stop yourself as an investigator sometimes and, you know just like what are you doing look yourself in the mirror just maybe take a break take a couple days off (laughs) get a reality check it's just too much you know it's too much like how much does beyonce get done in one day like you're putting a lot on people you know how much does beyonce get done in one day i mean apparently a lot if they make t-shirts about it Hmm. i've never even heard that before oh really oh yeah all right why do you think this is still unsolved Uh, i'm gonna give cooper all the credit for this one. Um, I think he was, I think he really planned this out. And I think the kind of person that he was, I really think he didn't tell anyone, which makes me also think that he was a bit of a loner. Didn't maybe didn't really have anyone to tell. Um, But I think he dropped out of his life. And then eventually after probably a shorter amount of time than we really think or you know want to believe that he just slipped right back into his life and didn't do anything you know didn't buy a sports car fur coat didn't do the the good fellas thing um you know he just kind of maybe slowly spent the cash maybe something happened and he didn't even get to spend all the cash uh but i think he kept super quiet and i think yeah like the time that this happened, 1971, like people want to fault the FBI for a lot of things for not holding on to the evidence. Okay. It does sound like some things were mishandled or misinterpreted. Um, but I don't think that, you know, if we had, if they had DNA evidence back then, I don't think that this would, would be an unsolved mystery anymore. So, um, I think it was kind of just, again, like he was really lucky. Everything really worked out that this was going to be something that this individual was going to be able to get away with. You know, obviously he didn't plan it, you know, to be that way that, Oh, good thing I'm doing this before DNA is invented, but uh, it, it just worked out in his favor. It certainly did. What do you think it'll take to solve this? Uh, So if he did have a family that knew that he did this um, I'm assuming that he would be you know, dead by now. And I, I think a family member or someone would need to come forward with some kind of like really substantial evidence um, and something that we can maybe do some like, or, you know, some sort of advances in, in DNA technology, technology that we can kind of pull from the tie 
Um, beyond that, I don't really know what else, like, and I'm kind of in the camp of, uh, and I was happy at CooperCon. I found that I wasn't alone on this, but I'm kind of in the camp of people who are totally, totally good if this never gets solved. Um, because then, I mean, you know, if the guy's name is like Kirk Smith, we're not going to have Kirk Smith conferences, you know? <laughs> It's going to be weird. So we're not going to be have all these like fun. You're not going to have a Kirk, you know, Smith vortex. It'd be weird, Darren. So like, yeah, no, we have, I, I'm kind of okay if this never gets solved. We've got to keep, we got to keep the, the legend alive. And it's not a legend anymore once we find out who he is. Yeah. That's funny. Changing the name of the Kirk Smith conference. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it definitely sure. doesn't. <laughs> Especially if yeah. it's about one dude who was a criminal, then it's yeah, it's just yeah, like we're we're not gonna do, we're not gonna have these super fun debates and discussions, you know. Our group's gonna disband, um, yeah, and the and the mystery the mystery dies, and like I don't know, I know it's not really cool to think of this as like a victimless crime, you know. There were people that were legitimately like affected by this, um, you know pretty much primarily like the, the flight crew and their families. Um, and that's, you know, that needs to be respected. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah, you know what he, at the end of the day, like, yeah, okay. Nobody died. Nobody got physically hurt. Um, and it was kind of badass. Like, I don't know. That's, that's how I feel about it. Like Cooper's kind of a James Bond figure, which I really think is cool. Um, and so then, you know, we're, we're not going to idolize him the same way after that, after he has an identity and we find out that he was the sad guy whose wife, you know, really just thought nothing of him and <laughs> <laughs> keep coming back to that. That's like, not my, that's <laughs> not really how I'm, ca- how I'm characterizing him, but <laughs> yeah. Do you think the, the name Dan Cooper was an homage to the comic book? No, I don't really. Why is that? I think the comic book was too obscure to get into his hands. I think like if we were to somehow run the odds on that, it would be really sadly, like very, very, very low. I think it's really interesting. Like it's a super interesting coincidence, but given that it was like a Belgian comic that was barely available, if really at all, unless it was like brought over, um, it was not widely distributed in North America like you know maybe even besides Quebec I don't think that it's very likely that it would have gotten into the hands of R.D.B. Cooper um, and the name Dan Cooper is just so plain and simple like if I were to if I were to do something like that I would just pick like the most plain name ever and I think that's what he did I don't think that Dan Cooper was someone that he went to school with I don't think it was like a, a name of an older brother that he would say like blame it on Dan. I think that's like a, I think that's a maybe a, a Wolfgang Gassette thing. But um, I don't think there was any. I don't think it was had any connection whatsoever. I think he was just picked a name that would never ever ever be associated with him. I don't like that answer because I want to oh, believe <laughs> that it's based on the comic book. I know. <laughs> you know, there's a surprising amount of people that um, at. at at uh, CooperCon that were like ready to fight me on that. So it's not a popular opinion for, for me to think it's no connection. I want there to be a connection, but mm-hmm. do I believe there's one? Well, I have no idea. It's yeah. not like there is any evidence to support that. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Dan as a, 
an American male's first name, pretty common. Cooper, the North American male last name. Oh, pretty common. Yeah. So totally. I, I see both sides of it. And you're right. Very obscure comic book. Wasn't printed in English until many, many, many years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably the popularity now is probably pretty much based on DB Cooper. Yeah, totally. For this thing totally. still running around. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people have confessed to this crime? I know you're not a big fan of confessions, mm-hmm. but can you name another case where there's dozens of confessions? I don't know if I like there probably are. I can't I couldn't name one, um, but I'm guessing that this is a pretty common, common thing for people to confess. I, I think even the Richard Ramirez, um, the Night Stalker, I think there was even other people that were maybe confessing to that, which is extremely disturbing. Um, but I mean, who who wouldn't want to be D.B. Cooper if I was like a white guy <laughs> at the time that like <laughs> I would be like, yeah, fuck me. I'm D.B. Cooper, too. Yeah. What's up? Like I use it as a pickup line at the bar. Are you insane? Like, that's the best thing ever, um, you know, until like the FBI start breathing down your neck. But I think it's I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm one of those people that's like everybody wants to be Cooper. Um, it's yeah, he's he's a he's a, he's a cool he's a cool character. All right. How'd the money end up on Tina Barr? Ooh, I don't know. Headline. I don't know. Um, Under that, I would say I probably think that it was buried there. Um, I'm not someone who gets too into like the more... Uh, it was planted for someone, but I don't know what it is lately. I've been kind of thinking like maybe it was just because it's such a weird, like random amount to have there. And like, the more I think about it, like what kind of psycho would, <laughs> would bury like the loot that they just got off a plane at like some random beach. I wouldn't, I would bury it somewhere like that. Maybe wasn't so susceptible to like mother nature. That doesn't seem like a good plan. So. Like, yeah, okay, I I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot that, like, I've seen it um, written before and I've heard other people say it and I 100% believe it even more so after CooperCon and after learning more about, like, the diatoms and hearing a bunch of really conflicting stories that all kind of have um, some sort of credibility to them. The money find is a whole mystery as big as D.B. Cooper itself. It's just so strange. I'm going to make my own podcast about the money fight. (laughs) Are you? No, I'm not. Well, I would listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be wild. No, but that's like, it's, it's a, it's so, so inexplicable. It is. It only seems to add questions instead of provide any answers. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's, it's maddening to me. Um, and I've kind of stopped trying to wrap my head around it because I like it's that's a really, really speculative area to me where all we have are the diatoms and like that's not my forte. <laughs> so I can't I can only go so far like reading about that, thinking about that. Um, and then the rest is just like, I don't know, there's there is there isn't anything else. Nothing else has been found in that area. There's no other like someone saw a guy like digging. Oh yeah. That was another thing that I, sorry, that I thought that maybe could have been in the bag, maybe a shovel. If he did, if he, if he was that kind of psycho who would just bury some money on like a beach, 
doesn't seem like a great idea. Yeah, who knows what yeah. was in that bag. Yeah. A shovel seems like it would be a little clunky to jump with, though. Like a little one, because, and I say that because there was a guy who was Canadian um, who hijacked, a, I think it was a DC-8 or DC-9 um, in, I think it was early 1971. And one of the things that he brought with him was a little hand shovel, like a little garden shovel. So he planned to bury the money. So maybe it's not, maybe that was like in vogue for hijackers at the time to like find an exotic place to bury your money, bring a shovel. I forget that guy's name. I was trying to look it up, but I can't remember it. I get yeah. the copycat skyjackers mixed up. Although he wasn't a copycat, yeah. but. Oh, Sini, Paul Sini. Paul Sini. That's right. Yeah. I always yeah. get Paul Sini and Glenn Tripp mixed up because mm. they both did their skyjackings very poorly. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sini, it, what, he was the one that got hit with the axe, right? That's right. Yeah. He dropped, uh, he turned around or he dropped his, dropped his gun for like a second. And then the next thing he knew, one of the pilots uh, got him in, in the face with the back of an axe. Yes. And then Glenn Tripp, the stewardess who was a genius, mm-hmm. slipped a handful of Valium into his drink. So good. Like oh, maybe yeah. she was DB Cooper. That's pretty smart. And then he was like <laughs> sloppy and slurring his words and his yeah. demand went from like a million dollars to three to cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers. Yeah. and a 30 second <laughs> head start. <laughs> oh, bless him. Bless him. So good. <laughs> so this story has gotten a lot of media attention for the 50th anniversary, but mm-hmm. in general, I don't think it gets the attention that it deserves. You and I are roughly the same age. And mm-hmm. if we ask our peers, Hey, what do you think about D.B. Cooper? Most are going to say, who? I don't know. Yep. Never yep. heard of it. Mm-hmm. So why doesn't get this get the attention it deserves? Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of time has passed and nothing has, with, with nothing to show for it, really. Um, and that's not to discredit any of the work um, and blood, sweat, and tears that people have put in um, to it. Like, truly, that's, you know, the, I, I don't want to infer that. But um Ultimately, like, yeah, there haven't been any like leaps and bounds in terms of new developments. So I think that kind of makes it fade into a little bit of obscurity. And then the other reason is that, you know, he didn't kill anyone. Um, So there's no like family that's still grieving and looking for justice. You know, Um, I was saying to to, um, Nikki the other day that if Cooper jumped and then blew up the plane, you know, like if he left the bomb on board or something like if it was a real bomb, left the bomb on board, we'd know who D.B. Cooper was by now. I think it would be a completely different level of public interest and police effort um, right from the get go. Or if if he, you know, like if, if he killed anyone um, on board, um, I think we would probably have, again, like a, just a different approach to the case. And it would have a bit more of a enduring appeal in the public because they would want someone brought to justice. But I think ultimately everyone, everyone's kind of a little bit too okay with this guy getting away with this crime. Yeah. I mean, you, you said yourself, (laughs) he was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 And then there hasn't been, I guess, no one, no one's really come forward so far with, um, a great film or, television you know story to to keep this alive like there's a couple of pretty like d level probably movies you know there's that treat williams movie from what the early 80s i think yeah, or late I think 70s 
Yeah. And then uh, without a paddle featured kind of a DB Cooper storyline, but I'm sure a ton of people saw that and didn't even realize that DB Cooper was a real person when they watched that movie. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm excited that there's a movie coming out. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the perspective that there sounds like they're taking. Um, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Tina Mucklow, no offense, but I love, uh, personally, I love a good anti-hero and Cooper has all the makings of a really strong anti-hero, almost like in the realm of like Joker, not that he would like be that type of character but you know that's a that's a movie about a villain that's tremendous and that uh, it's someone that you root for as well so um cooper has all the makings of that so i'm not really excited that they're taking more of probably the approach that they should like this is very politically correct and everything to have like you know tina's perspective and probably you know like some some do justice for her that okay she kind of saved the day here and like this this jerk D.B. Cooper is getting like all the glory and everything. So I kind of get it, but I wish it wasn't like that. I wish they were kind of focusing on the story more from his perspective, but I'll, I'll see the movie and I'll judge then. I'm glad you said it and not me because as a man, a it would just be <laughs> yeah. like, I'm a sexist jerk and I'm part yeah. of the patriarchy. I know, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I have sort of got that vibe from the yeah. handful of articles I read that it's going to be, sort of told through Tina's perspective. I guess Tina and Bill sold their life mm-hmm. rights to have this movie made. Yeah. And the articles are, are pitching Tina as a hero, which, yeah. you know, was her behavior heroic? You know, if you asked Florence Shafter, I bet she would say, yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it, it goes on for five hours. Mm-hmm. Tina is unhurt. And immediately mm-hmm. after, she says he was never unkind, never unkind. He was always polite. And when he was, he got impatient when we were in Seattle, um, he was never rude to me. Yep, that's right. And yeah. he ordered meals for him. You know, it is this when people talk about, oh, well, maybe she had, you know, PTSD from this and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, you can see her state, she didn't have PTSD from this. Mm-hmm. And I think people sort of look at it from the 2021 lens instead of the 1971 lens. Yep. Where they were a little bit tougher and not looking for some sort of a victimhood thing. Yeah. Right yeah. away. Like, was it a hard, stressful day for Tina? Yes, I'm sure it was. Did she handle herself well? Yes. Definitely. She handled herself exceptionally well, but totally Cooper wasn't holding a knife to her throat. Yeah. She, I love the fact that she lit his cigarettes. Yeah. Which if I smoked, I don't know if my wife would do that for me. So (laughs) I just, I love the idea that they're sitting back there and just talking and she's lighting his cigarettes. That doesn't, I know. Okay. I wasn't there. I wasn't being threatened to be blown up. Mm-hmm. But I just don't want the movie to have a real heavy 2021 political correctness focus. Yeah, I I agree. I don't. And like, I'm even looking at it more from just like us from a storytelling perspective. I'm sure that I'm sure that they're finding things to tell a great story from. But like, let's be honest, the drama is with Cooper the real 
the real emotional struggle and the real like, you know, character arc almost is this man who took a risk and put pretty much like everything on the line, planned it out, not knowing if he was going to actually be able to pull it off or not, you know, kind of overcame a series of, of obstacles that could have completely destroyed this whole plan. Um, and maybe he had some crazy motivation that we don't know about. There's just so much to explore in the, in the narrative that is held with the Cooper character. Tina's, Tina's uh, sort of like struggle or her, her character arc just happens because of Cooper. So I don't think that that's the right way to tell a story. And that's probably, people can argue that with me and they probably have extremely valid points, but that's how I feel about it. It's not the approach that I would take. Um, and it wasn't the, the approach that I was planning to take if I did um, write the Cooper screenplay that I was hoping to. So, Have you seen Bigfoot versus D.B. Cooper? No, but um, if I ever have absolutely nothing else possibly that I could think of to do, I would maybe give it a whirl. Is it good? <laughs> it doesn't uh, sound great. <laughs> I don't think it's great, but if you mm-hmm. like super hot shirtless guys, then it's a great movie. I mean, I don't, I don't not like that, but okay. <laughs> I would say in 89% of the film, there is more than one shirtless male on the screen. Mm, okay. It's an odd it, flick. It, I mean, yeah, I got that from the title, but, uh, <laughs> and like, is it like a versus? Like, it's like there, it's like Godzilla. Is it like Kong, King Kong versus Godzilla kind of thing? Or are they Bigfoot like and Davey Cooper at one point do get into a fight? Um, what could they have to fight about? <laughs> okay. I don't want you to give away the movie. So you know what? I'll, <laughs> I won't push it for spoilers. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll have to watch it yourself. I'm, sure it's, it's I'm finding it difficult to explain the plot line of the movie myself. <laughs> Fair enough. I would Fair say enough. the plot line yeah. is shirtless guys working out. That's oh, okay. the plot line. And Bigfoot. And Bigfoot. They're on like a hunting okay. trip. Um huh. like some of the fittest dudes you've ever seen are on a hunting <laughs> trip together in like a wow, mansion. Okay. And working out constantly. A stranger <laughs> walks up. And they're all Who together. The, like they offer him man, beer. this is this is such an interesting. Like, who were they trying to get this movie to appeal to? Like, because clearly doesn't sound like it was for any of the Cooper, <laughs> any of the Cooper Vortex uh, fans. Like, who was their target audience? It's this guy David David DeCoco or something like that. I'm sure I just butchered his oh, name. Okay, but he you know. does this like genre of movie. Huh. That's almost like super soft core gay porn. Like I wouldn't okay. say it's porn, but yeah, boy, is it really riding the edge of that? Right. Okay. Okay. It's like Barbarella territory. Yeah. Only just just men. Just dudes. Okay. Just men. I don't know oh. if there is a woman in that movie. Oh, I'm thinking huh. about it. Wow. Something for everyone. Right. Speaking cool. of men, mm-hmm. why does this story appeal more to men than women? You know, looking around the audience at CooperCon, the vast majority of people there are dudes over 50. I guess, I mean, I can't totally speak to that being a woman who is very interested in this case. I'm guessing that uh, it's just how identifiable uh, Cooper is with other males of that of that era or of, of just of, I don't know, just other males, I guess. Um, I 
like I've always been, I'm like probably not the best person to ask, but I don't know. I've always been kind of like a tomboy, I guess. Like I was, you know, all my other friends would want to like run home and watch like Saved by the Bell. And I would put on like James Bond movies, like Sean Connery (laughs) and all that. So I've always like, I've always gravitated to stories like this, but I guess it just comes down to like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe guys see themselves more as like, you know, I could have been DB Cooper or I want to be DB Cooper. Um, I don't know. I don't really have a great answer for that. Probably. Why are you, why are you into it, Darren? Well, I lived in Woodland, so it was kind of a local story. And then Skyjack really sent me down the rabbit hole. I reading oh, Skyjack okay. towards the end of it, you know, he uh, skipped Porteous and Robert Blevins sort of stopped working with him, stopped mm-hmm. talking to him. They told them we're going to write our own book. And so right. I had purchased Skyjack like maybe two years after it had come out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, I got to see if that other book is out. And it was. So then I mm-hmm. bought that book and then the next uh, book and then the next book after that. Okay. And I think what appeals to me is that the sort of perfect heist mm-hmm. that he was able to commit this crime as a very slippery shadow No one knew where he came from. No one knows where he went. He didn't hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. He did it in like a charming, polite way. He was smoking and drinking with sunglasses on in the back of an airplane while a beautiful young woman lit his cigarettes. I mean, that sounds so badass. Yeah, exactly. People talk to me all the time like, oh, yeah, what are some of your other favorite true crime things? Like, I don't care about true crime. Mm-hmm. What are you Same talking here. about? You do a podcast about D.B. Cooper. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't want to hear about a 17-year-old runaway girl who was murdered by some semi-truck driver um, yeah, in Arkansas. Uh, totally. uh, that was a horrible stereotype, a true crime story. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not interested in that. I don't want to have to feel bad for those people. The mm-hmm. stuff I'm interested in is... D.B. Cooper. I really am interested in the uh, Isabella Stewart Gardner. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Heist. I'm not sure if I yeah. mixed up some of her last names on there, but yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that's really appealing to me. And mm-hmm. you mentioned James Bond a few times and yeah, as, as a little boy or even today as yeah. a 36 year old man, when I watch a James Bond movie, I'm picturing myself as James yeah, Bond, like, yeah. oh, it would be so cool if I could do that. Or, oh, if I had all these skills, oh, it'd be so yeah. awesome. That's how I feel when I watch James Bond too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I also like The Secret. I think that's really cool. And I'm excited that Eric Ulyss is, um, is uh, kind of tackling that or has plans to tackle that at some point. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I don't like, uh, I, I get, I get easily depressed by like those murders and stuff like that. That's just like, it's just so sad whether the person's caught or not. Um, you know, I just, I can't immerse myself into that world, but all this stuff, like you, you, you put it very well. This is all like, um, I'm in, I'm down. Let's go for the ride. All right. What are you going to contribute to the Cooper vortex, Tessa? Do you have a project you're working on? I do. Um, so I, yeah, so I'm hoping to put together something. I was initially thinking something on Google Drive um, that was just going to be like something that is 
always um, like evergreen that people can add to it. It can be edited constantly like a wiki for DB Cooper only. Um, and uh, we'd throw all like everything that we know all in one place because, you know, there's a lot of websites, there's a lot of videos and stuff. So, you, you know, if you're new to the case and you're really interested in it, man, it's like a real uphill battle to kind of separate the facts from speculation um, from, and from things that are just like completely not true and that have just kind of been um, regurgitated over the years. So I want to make it easier for people, um, especially for the next, you know, generation, whatever, um, of, uh, of citizen sleuths uh, to, to come on board and come to their own, you know, conclusions about things or get, just get into the case and like learn more about it without having to, you know, uh, research and, and sift through so much crap, basically. So I want to put everything together in one place, kind of like a, again, kind of like a wiki. Um, I actually found a tool today, um, that is a paid tool. You got to subscribe to it, but I'm willing to do it if, uh, you know, if, if it would be helpful to people. Um, and then I just want to throw together, like, again, as much as I can do, I'm trying to do my own research on, on a lot of things and partnering with other people, um, in, uh, in sort of like from the Facebook group where again, like I'm, pretty much like very active in that, um, every day, but, uh, kind of doing a bit of a deeper dive on a lot of things like the tie particles, I got like a spreadsheet going on that. Um, just trying to give, uh, each sort of component of the case, um, its own sort of home where you can go, you can learn, you can ask questions and people can see discussions in real time, um, you know, about like what, what they think or what they think is inaccurate. And we'll, again, we'll keep it, we'll keep it fresh. We'll keep it new, keep it updated. Um, and then have other owners of it too. Like, I don't want this to be something that like I'm the gatekeeper of and everything has to go through and be approved by me. Like I want to have like a few people that are sort of going to be, um, able to make edits and, and, um, you know, and add new things. Um, but I, I do want it to, I think like the Facebook group is great and we should keep discussions there, but I want, I want some of those really good discussions that do happen there that surface a lot of, um, great points. I want them to have like a more official home instead of just a Facebook page. So I hope that other people find this like something that would be, um, helpful and useful and that they would want to contribute to. Um, so I'm definitely going to be soliciting like more people to come and join and, uh, you know, add to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it ha doesn't fully exist yet. I'm still kind of like mapping it out. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I'm hoping maybe sometime next year this can go live. All right. Here's what I want, Tessa. Yeah. Later I on. want number one, I want a beautiful timeline of events. Yes. That's, oh, that's critical. Yes. Starting with, you know, he buys his ticket at 220 at Portland yep. International Airport and 1980, the money yep. is found on Tina Barr. Yes. There was, this is a really geeky reference, but there was this show called The X-Files mm -hmm. and there was a website that I went on a bunch of times, like when DVD box sets sort of first came out. Yeah, I bought a bunch of these seasons of the X-Files and started watching them. And then I went online and there was a website that had, it was called like the X-Files timeline. And oh. it was a group of fans that had dedicated what must have been years yeah. to documenting everything that happened on the show mm -hmm. over this timeline. And it extended to like, you know, Roswell in the 50s. 
and wow. extended like into the future. Every single episode fell within this specific timeline. Yeah. I would like to see something like that for Cooper. Oh yeah, absolutely. That I think like that, that was on, on my roadmap of things to include for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that that has to be like a, a cool, like also has to be like a cool visual as well, but that's gotta be front and center. We have to have, have to have a timeline. The other thing I really want is a document repository. Yes. There's the DB Cooper forum has a kind of a version of that, but Mm -hmm. the whatever bulletin board or forum software they're using is, is a little bit dated. Um, I, Dave, the guy who runs that site shutter, he's a good guy. And, you know, he's doing this out of the kindness of his heart. Mm -hmm. He's not going to pour a ton of money into that. It's a nice forum. I go there quite often. The drop zone uh, is a more modern, maybe a little bit nicer forum, but mm-hmm. it's not dedicated to DB Cooper. There's one thread yeah. that's dedicated to DB Cooper. And because of some of the uh, some of the drama that happened there in the past, and maybe one mm-hmm. prolific poster that won't let it go, mm-hmm. um, people kind of stay away from the drop zone. Yep. Yeah, I have. I've never, I've like gone in and tried to search. Like there, there is useful information in there, but then you go like three posts down from this one post where someone was just either putting like straight up facts or, you know, like just something that they feel to be true and they have decent reasons for thinking that or wanting to post that. And then someone with like zero tact and, you know, just like a, I don't know, personal vendettas maybe like comes in and then just totally changes the course and everything goes off the rails after that. So I haven't really spent a lot of time in, in the, um, in the drop zone myself. Um, but yeah, and I think Eric's done a great job again, like with the Facebook group of keeping it like a really, really safe space. Um, I was pretty worried about going into, um, any kind of like conversations because I had seen and read about sort of like how some people had been treated, um, just for coming up, like just for like, yeah, coming up with their own theories about things. I don't think anyone deserves to be like really personally attacked. There are people that make pretty bold claims and you know, whatnot, but, um, we need to separate like people from the things that they're, you know, peddling or whatever, and just keep it civil. Um, otherwise, yeah, no, for sure. No one's ever going to want to touch this case again. So, um, yeah, so I want to just kind of make a, it's not going to be as much of like a community, um, what I'm creating, because I think that exists. And I think that's what Eric has, has done and done a great job at. So it doesn't need to be a duplication of efforts. What I just want to build is, yeah, like a repository for information, um, somewhere that you can go just to get the straight facts. Yeah, there will be like a bit of discussion, again, as things need to be refined or edited, um, or, you know, just even made a little bit more clear. That's cool. But yeah, they, they got to be two separate things. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, N467US, Sluggo's website. Mm. isn't up anymore have you have you ever seen that you can go on sort of like the internet's way back machine i think is the only way to get there now yeah you know what i haven't uh i do i know that way back machine thing but i haven't uh, i have never tried to to do that I, I should see if it if it works for a while i was um i couldn't go on the citizen sleuth website um until i did a facebook live with eric and said that like my ip was like blacklisted from every device i would ever try to use and then and like, I guess it was because it was maybe not available in Canada or something. But then after that, I was available, I was able to visit Citizen Sleuth. So that was great. <laughs> but hmm. a lot of DB Cooper things that aren't actually available in Canada for, for viewing or consumption. 
that's interesting. There was that uh, Dan Cooper comic documentary that's like 45 mm. minutes. Yep. And I got the same message, but the opposite. This is not yeah, a that's right to United States viewers. So weird. Yeah. And so then, you know, Nikki yeah. told me like, oh yeah, use this VPN app that I used and yeah, watch yeah. it for free on, I think it was Curio or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen that? Okay. Nikki, I'm sorry. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> you sent it to me a while back. It was one of those things where um, I think I had trouble. I, I initially tried to watch it, but I think even I was, I was, I had some issues and then he told me another way of like getting in and watching it, but um, I I didn't get around to it. Sorry, Nikki, but it's on my list. I do. I, I, again, I'll take it all in. I'm not going to believe it all, but I'm I'm open to anything that someone has to, has to share. The documentary maybe has three sentences regarding DB Cooper. Mm -hmm. The rest is more about sort of this guy, Albert Weinberg, I think is his last name. Yeah, let's go with that. Who created Dan Cooper and sort of his interest in the Royal Canadian Air Force Mm -hmm. and uh, airplanes and aviation and all these people who thought Dan Cooper was a good guy and how a lot of the comic book heroes had ridiculous villains or superheroes with magical Mm -hmm. powers. But the Dan Cooper comic book was just a regular guy who was doing extraordinary things right it's it's a good documentary um if you're interested in db cooper or obscure franco-belgian comic books then it's really good (laughs) yeah Uh, if you're not into either of those then i don't know how much is going to be there for you it's not very long it's like 45 minutes or something yeah i know i would definitely check it out i'm i love comic books anyway so that would just be cool to hear about how that all came about but your your idea for this website it it sounds a lot like what Sluggo wanted to do mm, okay. 10, 10 15 years ago he was tired of the drop zone like you're spreading false information yeah i need to do a website where people can go and learn what is the truth about this case yeah and no speculation just the facts that we have yeah yeah and he's the only person i know that was able to completely escape from the vortex. So he was on the drop zone battling it out and then got onto the, I'm not sure if he made it onto the DB Cooper forum or not, but yeah. he said one day, Hey, I'm done with this. Don't mm-hmm. call me. Don't text me. Don't email me about Cooper. Oh. I'm out. And he stayed true to that. I haven't heard a peep from him. And uh, I'm not sure how many times I've harassed him about coming on the show. It's right. under 75. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on man come around yeah sluggo if you're listening to this give me a call yeah for old time's sake what what can we do in the vortex or as listeners to help with the website i mean jo- like join it i'll probably uh you know need <laughs> need someone to say hey this was helpful um but you know once i kind of get it up and running um i'd love for people to say like hey i'm gonna take on this section i would love to um, you know, fill out um, documents or, uh, you know, add anything that I have to share, um, you know, to fill out the flight path or, you know, build out information on this. So I do want it to be totally collaborative. Um, so I welcome people to come forward and take on portions of it. Um, and then I do want to have like a 
place for you to put your put your suspects. It will be like very clear that this is a this is a section of things that are this this is all just speculation this is all people putting suspects forward or even other you know a place for you to put your theory if you have a really strong theory um you know throw it up there but we're you know it's going to be delineated from everything else that is like these are the facts these are interesting things that's food for thought maybe you're going to read this and you're going to you know like you're a new person to the case you're going to read it it's going to spark something in you and you're going to run with this in another direction so there's a place for everything um i think it just all has to live in one happy place. So that's what I'm hoping to build. When can I start hanging out on this website? As soon as I probably fill up my subscription. Um, so probably in the next, ooh, I don't know. I want to say I'm, I'm going to probably open it up for people. I want to say like January, February to really start playing around in it. I've got to put, I have to put the infrastructure in um, all the placeholders for the things that, you know, are prioritized that we have to put in there, like the timeline. Um, and a few other things, but, um, yeah, hoping like early spring and then like maybe a, that's like a soft launch and then a bigger launch, um, where I'll open it up to the general public to see and play around with, um, maybe like summer 2022. I do have like a full-time job. So <laughs> summer to- get to work slacker. I know, right. Then. <laughs> I know the movie will probably come out before this whole thing is done, but yeah, that's unacceptable. You got to get to work on this. <laughs> I'll try. Okay. I'll do it for you, Darren. All right, Tessa. Is there anything we haven't talked about? Anything you wanted to say? Any question that I was supposed to ask that I didn't? No, man, you did a great job. You hit everything and more. What a treat. This has been a pleasure. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on, Tessa. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. All right. Bye. Here I am again in a position where I'm promoting something that doesn't exist yet. Get to work, Tessa. It doesn't have a name yet, as far as I know. If you're listening to this in the future, Google DB Cooper timeline, or maybe when it launches, Tessa can remind me about this. And I'll re-record this part and insert a real link. Do you have inside information about the secret identity of Dan Cooper? Do you know how the money got to Tina Barr? Want to come on the show to tell everyone to stop investigating your grandpa because he wasn't D.B. Cooper? Hit us up. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us, dbcooperpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Tessa D'Amico for the amazing D.B. Cooper space, even though it doesn't exist yet. Thank you to Russell Colbert for the other podcasts we're doing even though it doesn't exist yet. Thank you to Darian Osadich for letting us play his song, The Money in the Man. I'm Darren Schaefer, and thank you for listening to The Cooper Vortex. Hijacked a plane, so we were told Then he jumped into the cold Rats of bourbon and a cigarette In the air, the stage is set Polite and kind, the people say It's time to make his getaway This is how the story goes About the money and the man Cooper, they call me now 